gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Next to Normal. So it's times like these I wonder how I take it, and if other families live the way we do, if they love each other or if they just fake it, and if other daughters feel like I Another day for another stolen hour. When the world will feel my power and obey. It's just another day. Feeling like I'll live forever. Feeling like this feeling never goes away. For just another day. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. As always, hello to you, Patty. Hello to you, Benny. I have a quick observation here to offer in the opening segment, and then I want to dive right into the show facts. We are going to move like a freight train into the content of this episode. The meat. The delicious, salty meat. I was editing the episode about Jelly's Last Jam. Yes, that is the situation I found myself in. I was editing, and I really realized listening to Gregory Hines sing that he sounds a lot like Sammy Davis Jr. And that led me to conclude that if Jelly's Last Jam had been produced in the 1960s, it would most likely have been a vehicle for Sammy Davis Jr. And I think that that would have been a good vehicle for him. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. We're going to go right into the show facts. Show me the show facts regarding this week's subject, Next to Normal. All right, let's do it. Next to Normal was a 2009 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 15th, 2009 at the Booth Theater and ran for 733 performances. The book was written by Brian Yorkie and the music was written by Tom Kitt. Next to Normal was initially conceived as a 10-minute sketch while Yorkie and Kitt were attending the 1998 BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop in Hale. Okay, the sketch, which went by the name Feelin' Electric, evolved into a full-length piece over the next several years. The 2008 off-Broadway production of the show was met with confusion and derision. There was a great deal of criticism leveled at that version of the show. But after an extensive series of rewrites, Next to Normal found its audience later that same year in Washington, D.C. I wish I had a reference for that original, initial version of the show, It sounds very off-balance, off-kilter in terms of its tone. I would like to know more about it. I do, but we have to get back to the show facts. Oh, I suppose I should have mentioned this earlier. I should have said this before I went into the whole production history. Brian Yorkie also wrote the lyrics for Next to Normal. Great, now we know that. The director of the original Broadway production was Michael Greff. Musical director Charlie Alterman. Choreographer, well, we have a musical staging by credit, and that goes to Sergio Trulio. 
Scenic design, Mark Wendland. Lighting design, Kevin Adams. Sound design, Brian Ronan. And costume design, Jeff Mashi. The original Broadway cast was as follows. We have Alice Ripley, J. Robert Spencer, Adam Chandler Barrett, Jennifer Damiano, Lewis Hobson. Broadway debut for Lewis Hobson. Congratulations. And finally, Aaron Tveit. Now, I do want to mention a development, a scandal, that has recently been brought to my attention. This is a couple of weeks old at this point, and maybe you are aware of this, but I had to have it brought to my attention by Christopher, so thank you, Christopher, for bringing this to my attention. Alice Ripley has been accused by several people, several of her fans, of grooming them as teenagers. It is a truly disturbing, really unsettling story. I don't think we need to be dishing out a lot of praise for Alice in this episode, necessarily, because... If you look into it, you'll understand why. I don't need to unpack it from beginning to end, but it is a very dark and strange story. It speaks to the unhealthier aspects of the theatrical community, what people can do with their star power. She was interacting with teenagers, talking about sexual acts and all of this. Oh my God, it is just, it is really, really dark shit. And I would encourage you to look further into it on your own time. We need to move forward with the Tony Nods. Nods for next to normal. The production won Best Original Score, Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie, as well as Best Actress in a Musical, Alice Ripley, and Best Orchestrations, Michael Sterobin and Tom Kitt. It was additionally nominated for Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Brian Yorkie, Best Actor in a Musical, J. Robert Spencer, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Jennifer Damiano, Best Direction of a Musical, Michael Greff, Best Scenic Design of a Musical, Mark Wendland, Best Lighting Design of a Musical Kevin Adams and Best Sound Design of a Musical Brian Ronan. That is 11 nominations and three awards at the end of the evening. That is the exact same number of nominations and awards that Jelly's Last Jam received. Isn't that strange? These two shows are neighbors, randomly selected to be neighbors, and they both had 11 nominations and three Tony Awards. I'm fascinated by that bit of serendipity. Next to Normal also won the 2010 Pulitzer Prize for drama. Now, the awarding of the Pulitzer Prize was viewed as controversial at the time. Next to Normal had not been included on the short list of candidates submitted to the Pulitzer Board by its drama jury. Said jury, led by Chairman Charles McNulty, had nominated Rajiv Joseph's Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, Christopher Diaz's The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, and Sarah Rule's In the Next Room, or The Vibrator play. When the Pulitzer board ignored these recommendations and chose to award Next to Normal instead, McNulty publicly criticized the decision. They don't call it the Drama Award for nothing, honey! Yes! Future Queen! Yes! The following plot summary is based on a reading of the libretto or book by Brian Yorkie. I want to provide a general content warning. The plot of this show, if you're not familiar with it, deals with bipolar disorder, depression, delusion, and manic episodes, suicide attempts, the loss of a child, drug use. There's a lot going on in here, so I just wanted you to be aware of that. Before we started, I also want you to be aware that I did not type out a formal plot summary this time around. This time around, I'm going to be going off of a bullet point list, a list of points that I want to address. Don't worry, we're going to address the entire story, but... 
Oh my goodness. Let me just be honest with you. I need to level with you, the listener. I tried to write a formal plot summary. I really did. I slammed into a mental wall. I had a bit of a panic attack and a bit of a breakdown, and I got really upset and depressed. I think partly because the story is so depressing, and I think I'm also just dealing with a lack of energy, and I feel like the show is pulling me in several different directions sometimes. It is very difficult to keep up with the pace of this show. It really is. I should give myself more breaks is what I need to do. And I'm going to take that idea seriously. I have told my husband as much and I'm going to do my best to keep to that. But I told myself, why am I getting so upset over the over the creation of a formal plot summary? We don't have to do that every week, do we? No. So this week I'm going to be going off of some bullet points and I'm going to just spin the yarn. I'm going to spin the tail for you. Okay? Let's go. So the show begins by focusing on Diana Goodman. Diana Goodman is the matriarch of the Goodman family. It is 3.30 a.m. and she is waiting for her son Gabe to return home. Gabe has been sneaking in, oh, at the wee hours of the morning, in the wee hours of the morning, I should say, and this is the seventh night in a row he has done this. When Gabe comes in, oh, Diana says, oh, Diana says, Gabe, Gabe, you're killing me. Do you understand how often I imagine you dying? in any number of ways. You could have died in a freak September ice storm, she says, or maybe the bird flew. And Gabe says, oh, calm down. You've been watching the news too much. But who is that off in the distance? Oh, it's the voice of Gabe's father, Diana's husband, Dan. Dan Goodman. Oh. Diana says to Gabe, her son, go, go. Your father's coming. He'll be so upset that you're sneaking in. Go upstairs. Go the back way. And Gabe says, regarding his father, why does he hate me, mother? Why does my father hate me? And I believe Diana says, because you're a little twat. That's what she says to her son. Because you're a twat. Gabe runs upstairs just as Dan comes comes in, he says to his wife, is everything okay? I heard voices. And Diana essentially says to him, oh, shut up. No, no, no. I was talking to myself. Go upstairs. I'm going to have sex with you in a few minutes. I'm going to fuck you. And Dan is a little confused by this, but he is excited because he enjoys sex. And so he goes upstairs. Oh, we have another character entering the stage, entering the arena. It's Natalie Goodman, the teenage daughter of Dan and Diana. Natalie has a stack of books and a Red Bull tall boy. She is going wild with the books. She has been studying for hours upon hours, and Diana says, look, my darling daughter Natalie, you should relax. Take some time for yourself like me. I'm gonna go fuck your father. She says this. She says this to her daughter, and Natalie says, okay, all right, well, thank you very much for telling me that you're gonna go fuck my dad. Thank you very much. So Dan and Diana, they have sex. It lasts all of 10 minutes, and Dan is quite satisfied with the experience. Diana is not. They come back downstairs. Everybody's getting ready for the day. Gabe is getting dressed for school. Natalie is getting dressed for school. And at one point, Gabe says, hey there, Natalie. He sarcastically greets her. Hey there, sis, how are you doing? and Natalie ignores him. Oh, it seems as if she's mad at her brother. I'm not talking to you, my brother. Go away, Gabe. I'm trying to tell mom and dad about my winter piano recital. This is an upcoming event in my life that is very important. Hello? Hello? Look at me. I'm Natalie. Diana is too busy making sandwiches. Oh, I gotta make lunches for the week. She makes one sandwich. She makes five. She makes ten. She makes twenty. She makes a hundred. Finally, Dan has to pick her up off the floor because she is going 
going through an episode. She is really going through it. And he says, all right, enough with the sandwiches, enough. Smash cut to the local high school where Natalie is in a practice room. She's practicing her piano for the upcoming winter recital. She is obsessed with the idea that she has to get a full ride into college. She wants to graduate from high school early and get away from her family, as far away from her family as possible. But then she meets Henry. Oh, Henry, who has been sitting behind her for years in various classes throughout the school years. Oh, who is this Henry? Well, maybe he could be a romantic interest for Natalie. Ah, yes, maybe, possibly. But Natalie doesn't have time for that, does she? Uh-oh. Meanwhile, Diana meets with her psychiatrist, whose name is Dr. Fine. Dr. Fine. Dan waits in the car, which is what he always does. Apparently, Diana cannot drive. She cannot deal with the stress and anxiety of driving. And so Dan has to drive her to these appointments and sit in the car while she is speaking with Dr. Fine. Dr. Fine, according to the libretto, is rumpled. That is one word that is used to describe him. And he also grunts. So I guess he's not supposed to be Dr. Feelgood, necessarily. We learn via Dr. Fine that Diana is a, quote, bipolar depressive with delusional episodes. Quote, that is the official diagnosis. She received this diagnosis 16 years ago. So she has been dealing with this for 16 years. Diana would now be described, according to Wikipedia, as bipolar with psychotic features. So we have updated the language since this show premiered on Broadway. Next to Normal also premiered prior to the distinctions of bipolar type 1 and 2. We did not have that vocabulary on hand at the time, if you were wondering about that. So through this conversation between Diana and Dr. Fine, we learn that she has been on so many different medications. They've been trying to find the perfect combination that will level her out chemically, and there have been any number of side effects, debilitating side effects, some of which could be fatal. Oh, goodness gracious, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky dance. And Dan, throughout this entire process, is, as I said, in the car, wondering who is really crazy in this relationship. Is it his wife? Is his wife crazy, quote-unquote? Or am I the crazy one? Ah, the long-suffering husband! Oh, goodness gracious! Oh, goodness gracious! Oh, woe is me. Then one day, Diana says to Dr. Fine, she has been on a new combination of medicines, medications, and she says to her doctor, quote, I don't feel like myself. I mean, I don't feel anything. To which Dr. Fine says, ah, yes, we've hit upon it. Victory, victory, you're stable. If you don't feel anything, that is a victory we should be celebrating. If you were wondering what's going on with Henry and Natalie, well, Henry is now in love with Natalie, even though she is not sure how she really feels about him or the idea of a relationship. The model for a relationship is her mom and dad, which is not exactly stable, so I can understand why she wouldn't be eager to jump into a relationship of her own. But if push came to shove, she would admit that she does care for Henry, so they are slowly but surely moving forward when it comes to romance. Henry and Natalie actually kiss outside of her home, and Diana is watching this. She is watching her daughter kiss Henry from an upstairs window, and Gabe says to her, Oh, Gabe, hello. Hello, my son. Hello, mother. Are you spying on your daughter? Why are you watching your daughter kiss her boyfriend? You strange mother, you. Ah, you're my mother and you're strange. And then we have a flashback. A younger Dan appears. He's wearing a rugby sweater, much like the one Henry 
jewelry wears, I guess we're trying to draw a parallel between Henry and Dan, the young Dan, and he is asking a pregnant Natalie to marry him in this flashback. So we get a lot of exposition via this flashback as to how Diana and Dan came to be together. This is the only flashback in the entire show, and it feels like a holdover from an earlier draft, in my opinion. Diana comes out of this flashback and she realizes, oh, I don't want to feel nothing anymore. I miss the highs and the lows. It was difficult, but I want to feel again. And she says to Gabe, oh, my son, I want to feel again. What do you think I should do? And Gabe says, I think you should flush your fucking pills. I want you to flush your fucking pills right now. Let's do it. And so she does. Smash cut. Two weeks later, Dan is over the moon. Oh my God. I am the patriarch of this family. And this family is swimming on calm waters. We are doing well is the point. We're doing so well. Oh my gosh, I've been having sex with Diana. She's been making me meals. This is great. He does not notice that she is in a clear manic state, an extended manic state because he is a bad husband and a bad person. He does not notice this about his wife. All he cares about is the sex and the food and the food and the sex. Henry is invited to join the Goodmans for dinner, much to Natalie's chagrin. She does not want Henry to meet her family. She is worried about what might happen. Oh, but Dan doesn't care. I don't care what you want, honey. Come here, Henry. You're sitting down. And the dinner goes well for a period of time. But then Diana comes into the dining room with a birthday cake. And everyone is instantly horrified. Well, Henry is confused. He's not sure what's going on. But the Goodmans have to tell Diana, no, 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 it's nobody's birthday. And she says, oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. A little boy. Oh, he's a teenager. He's growing up. He's almost 18. Happy birthday, Gabe. And they have to say to her, they have to say, Dan and Natalie say to Diana, no, no, no. As we've told you several times before, no, no, no. Gabe does not exist. Gabe is a delusion. Okay. All right. Your son died when he was a baby, and she has been experiencing this delusion of Gabe ever since. Gabe has been growing up in her mind. That is where he exists. But the image of her son is very powerful, and she clings to the image of Gabe as Dan tries to pull her back to reality. Oh, it's it's a very frustrating situation because Gabe has a lot of influence over Diana's mind. And this is very frustrating for Natalie, of course, because she does not want to compete with a dead brother she never met, yet she has had to do so her entire life, and she tells this to Henry. She vents about this situation, and Diana overhears. She overhears how frustrated her daughter is, and she says to Natalie, quote, "'You know I love you. I love you as much as I can.'" Quote, Diana confesses to having gotten rid of her medication. She says to Dan, oh, yes, I, I flushed all of my pills down the toilet. We have the happiest septic tank on the block. And so they decide that she should be seeing a new doctor. Dr. Fine is not cutting it. And we are now going to start seeing Dr. Madden. All right. Dr. Madden appears to Diana as a rock star in another delusion during their first meeting. So that could be a problem moving forward. During their sessions, Diana tells Dr. Madden, quote, when I was young, my mother called me high-spirited. She would know. She 
She was so high-spirited they banned her from the PTA, quote, And throughout these initial sessions with Dr. Madden, Gabe, the delusion of Gabe, begins to revel in the power he has over Diana. He gloats and brags about how he is alive. Even though he's not really alive, he feels he is very powerful and strong within Diana's mind. There is something very strange and unsettling about that part of the show. I will begin to unpack what Gabe is exactly. There are no clear answers to that question, but it's a question that I need to ask and investigate anyway. But back to the plot. Okay, we have a troubling development when it comes to the Goodman's daughter, Natalie. She has begun to pop her mother's pills. She has become so distressed with the family situation that she is turning to pills. Very troubling. Very troubling. Diana agrees to undergo hypnotherapy, and during the hypnotherapy sessions, Dr. Madden says to her, quote, make up your mind that you're strong enough, quote, he's encouraging her to believe in herself, to believe that she is strong enough to overcome her delusions. Natalie, oh, we're back to Natalie. Natalie is about to begin her winter piano recital. This is a key event in Natalie's year. She is backstage, she is nervous, she is fidgeting, she is really, really stressed out, and Henry appears backstage with flowers. He wants to comfort her and say everything's gonna be fine. Meanwhile, Diana, in this moment, is saying to Dr. Madden, quote, We had Natalie too, and I know she knows. I, I couldn't hold her in the hospital. I couldn't let myself hold her, quote. So what we are implying here is, of course, that Diana and Dan had Natalie to make up for the fact that they lost their first child, and Diana is afraid that Natalie understands that is the case, and that is a very fucked up situation. You know what also is fucked up? Natalie stepping on stage for her winter piano recital and seeing neither of her parents in the audience they have not shown up for her, and as a result, she bombs. She tries to play her piece at the piano. She messes up several times. She panics. She begins to improvise a rock solo. Oh, I'm sure if you were in the audience, it would be a very interesting experience. But when all is said and done, she has a breakdown, and Henry has to help her off stage. Per Dr. Madden's advice and feedback, Diana goes home, and she begins to sort through all of Gabe's baby items all of his old clothes and toys and such, and this collection includes an old music box. This is a very important prop that we need to keep in mind. Put a pin in the music box. Oh, who? Oh, God, Gabe is here. He is in a tuxedo, and he is telling his mother, I know how we can be together forever. I know a place that we can go to. I am very strong. I have a lot of influence over you, ah, and I am trying to control you. And that is when we hear Dr. Madden say, Quote, Goodman, Diana, discovered unconscious at home, multiple razor wounds to wrists and forearms, self-inflicted, quote. Diana's suicide attempt, of course, rocks the entire Goodman household. Dr. Madden goes to Dan and begins to talk to him about ECT, otherwise known as electroconvulsive therapy, shock therapy. When Natalie hears about this idea, she is absolutely horrified. She cannot believe that her father is even considering this idea. You know who is also horrified by this idea? Diana. Diana is horrified, and she compares it to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is not an un fair comparison. But Dan is adamant. He wants Diana to try this therapy. He is so fixated on her doing the ECT. He sings, quote, take this chance, cause it may be our last, quote, 
And in the face of this pressure, Diana signs the consent forms. I believe that is the end of Act 1. We are now going to move into Act 2. We find that Natalie and Henry have been going out every single night, practically. They have been going to clubs. They have been drinking and going crazy. And Henry is getting a little concerned because it seems like Natalie is losing control. But she says, ah, whatever. I just want to have a good time. I want to go wild. And as this clubbing is going on, all of this wild partying, Diana watches herself being prepped for ECT. She is essentially having an out-of-body experience. And as Natalie is robo-tripping, a very 2009 term that is used by the libretto, Natalie says, I'm robo-tripping! And at the same time, electricity is flowing through her mother's body, and they meet in the middle, okay? So we're trying to imply that they're both high in their own way. Yes, so I don't know really what's going on in this moment. I don't like this moment. I don't like how we're equating robo-tripping with shock therapy. What are you doing in my delusion? What are you doing in my robo-trip? Oh, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter in my chocolate. It's a really dumb moment. I don't like it. It's silly. Natalie gets so fucked up at one point that Henry has to retrieve her from one of the clubs she is attending. You know how you attend a club. That's the language you would use. And we find out that Henry has actually had to retrieve Natalie from several clubs over the course of several nights. She is well and truly losing control. After two weeks of ECT, Diana is finally allowed to return home, at which time the family discovers that she has lost 19 years of memory. Now, they were told by Dr. Madden that memory loss is a common side effect of ECT, but the memory loss is supposed to be limited. When you lose 19 years of memory, that is a very extreme and rare side effect of ECT, and this is what has happened to Diana. Clearly, it's horrifying. While the family deals with this, Henry becomes fixated on the idea that he and Natalie should go to a spring formal. He has not talked to Natalie for several weeks at this point because she is dealing with this family emergency, but he is really just, he is all about this stupid dance. Hey, I got tickets to this dance. Please, why have we not been talking? I thought I was your boyfriend. Please go to this dance with me. And she says, no, I am dealing with some shit right now. My mother tried to commit suicide. I don't know if you read the papers, but I am dealing with this. So no, go away. The Goodmans come back together so they can try and repair Diana's memory. They begin to look through old photos and possessions. This is much like the scene in which Diana was looking through the baby items. And it's clear that by looking through all of these old pieces of memory that Dan is trying to paint a better family portrait than the one that existed. He's cherry picking. He's piecing stuff together and leaving all the negative stuff out. And Natalie will not have that. She has lived through all of this shit and she is not going to let her father gloss over all the really tough moments from their life, including a freak out that Diana had at a market which actually got into the local paper. A local paper wrote a story about Diana freaking out at the market, and then there was the house fire, the fire at their old house that Diana presumably started, and oh, the car accident that resulted in the death of our cat. Ah, you must remember the tough times too, mother. During this session, this memory jogging session, Diana comes across the music box. She picks it up, and she says, oh, a music box, what's this? And Dan says, yoink, he grabs the music box from 
from his wife, yoink, I say to you. Ah, no, 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 we're not talking about the music box. Not, no, 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 not just yet. If ever, I may never tell you about the music box or your son. (laughs) I may never tell you because I prefer the situation that we're in. Oh boy, if I could just leave the son out of it entirely, I would because I'm a monster. Speaking of Gabe, he is muttering and complaining from the shadows because he has been forgotten and it's very frustrating. I used to have so much power over that woman's brain and now I have no power at all. This is very frustrating, but one day, one day I will come back. I will have my revenge. I am Gabe the Delusion. Despite Dan's attempts to keep his wife from the information that has to do with her son, Diana knows, she knows on a primordial level that there is something she is not remembering and that Dan is probably keeping it from her. She really wants to know how she can fill this big patch in her memory, this sun-shaped void, and Dan will not tell her. He refuses. He gets really, really angry when Diana keeps bringing it up. Ding dong! Who's that at the door? Oh, it's Henry! Oh, hello! Hello, Mrs. Goodman! It's me, Henry! Remember me? And Diana says, oh, Henry, of course, you remind me of someone. You're a teenage boy! Something about a teenage boy. Does that have anything to do with the sun-shaped void in my head? But who has time for that? Henry doesn't know how to help with that. He's here to deliver a dance ticket to Natalie, who still doesn't want to go to the dance, by the way. But he says, I know, I know you said you don't want to go, but I'm a very good boyfriend and you should be nice to me because I'm dedicated to you. Here's the dance ticket. If you want to show up, fine. If you don't show up, ah, that's no big deal. I'll just be crushed. And Natalie says, I don't care. I'm not going. Bye-bye. The drama of this situation comes to a head when Dr. Madden is sitting down with Diana for their latest session, and he very casually says, well, have you talked to your husband about your son yet? And that is a mistake on Dr. Madden's part because Dan has not told Diana about their son, obviously. Dr. Madden assumed that he had maybe done that already. It's a big assumption on Dr. Madden's part. And of course, Diana is, oh, she is frozen. She says, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you what, what, what do you mean? My son. I had a son. We had a son. And Dr. Madden says, oy vey. Oh boy. I am really in a sticky pot of honey now. And in that moment, Gabe appears. He appears again. Hello, mother. I have the music box. I'm handing you the music box. And here comes my father. And at this point, Diana remembers everything. She remembers everything about their son except his name. That is the one detail she cannot remember, and she begs Dan. She says, tell me. Tell me the name of our son. And Dan says, oh, okay, let's let's not talk about this. Uh, why don't we set up another electroconvulsive therapy appointment for you, huh? More shock therapy. More pills, huh? Let's just wipe this slate clean again. And Diana, she gets so upset, she gets so worked up, that Dan takes the music box from her, and he smashes it into a million pieces. I'm pissed off. Enough with this music box. Smash! And by doing that, the Goodman marriage officially dissolves, which I feel is nothing but a good thing. Diana goes to Dr. Madden, she confronts him, and she is so upset because nothing has worked so far. The medication, the ECT, nothing has really helped her to be cured. And in response to this, Dr. Madden tells Diana that her treatment will likely never end. To quote him directly, quote, is medicine magic? You know that it's not. We know it's not perfect, but it's what we've got. 
It's all that we've got, quote. And in the wake of this discussion, Natalie and Diana, mother and daughter, finally managed to connect for the first time in years. Diana tells her daughter that when Gabe was a baby, when he was eight months old, he died from an intestinal obstruction. We never actually knew how he died until this moment. But by sharing their feelings with each other, mother and daughter are finally able to come to terms with each other, and they know that their lives are never going to be normal, but they might be able to settle into a comfortable zone that is next to normal. Hello! Oh, I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm pointing. Oh, that's the title of the show. Natalie does wind up going to the spring formal. She connects with Henry, and she says to him, look, I do like you, of course I like you, but I'm worried that one day I'm gonna go crazy, quote-unquote, and you will suffer, and I don't want you to go through that. And Henry says to her, quote, sometimes life is insane, but crazy I know how to do, because crazy is perfect and fucked up is perfect, quote. So presumably they're going to stay together, I don't know, for the rest of their fucking lives. I would say maybe date other people. Maybe that's an idea that you could pursue, but I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen with those kids? Who knows? In the show's final moments, Diana says goodbye to her husband and her son. Very importantly, she says, goodbye to the men in her life. I am leaving. I have to start a new chapter on my own. Goodbye. Here's a twist. Are you ready for the second act twist? Dan has been able to see and hear his son this entire time. That is a really wild twist. Weird, wild stuff. And we will unpack that more in the very near future. So Diana moves in with her parents, and Dan says to Dr. Madden, quote, I know you can't tell me if you're still treating her. I just, I wonder if she's okay. And Dr. Madden says, in response, I think she's working on it, and she's aware of the risks. Dr. Madden then suggests that maybe Dan should be seeing someone, a therapist maybe, and Dan says, oh, I, uh, yeah, I should, I should, I probably should be seeing someone. My question is, why did they never attempt marriage counseling, couples counseling? That never comes up. Did they never do that? They should have tried that, I think. The Goodmans gather on stage, they vow to move forward, and they promise to fight the good fight. And Diana sings, quote, day after day, give me clouds and rain and gray. Give me pain if that's what's real. It's the price we pay to feel. Quote, and that's it. That's the end of my plot summary. I don't feel good when I walk out of that ending, when I walk away from that ending. When Diana says, it's the price we pay to feel, give me pain if that's what's real, I really would like to know. I don't like the ambiguity of the question regarding Diana and her treatment. What is she doing? Is she seeing Dr. Madden? Is she seeing anybody who is a medical professional? Because I think Diana should be seeing someone she should not be doing this completely on her own. I think that could result in a really bad situation. Just don't go on your own, okay? Don't go it alone. That's not, no, no, I say no to that. For the purposes of this week's episode, I read the 2009 libretto or book by Brian Yorkie. We went over that, but I wanted to remind you. I also listened to the 2009 original Broadway cast album of Next to Normal, and I watched the 2009 Tony Awards performance of You Don't Know and I Am the One. And I feel like everybody makes this joke. Everybody I know, at least, has had this observation spring to mind when they watch this Tony Awards performance. But there is something very strange going on 
between the characters of Gabe and Diana, as performed by Aaron Tveit and Alice Ripley. I don't know what's going on, but I would describe it as Oedipal. There is an Oedipus complex going on. I don't know. Aaron Tveit is, ooh, he's touching Alice Ripley's hand in this very, very intimate, affectionate, non-son sort of way. And then toward the end of the performance, Tveit brings Ripley toward him. Oh, he brings her into this very sexual embrace, and their heads nearly touch, and their mouths are so close to each other, and he's sort of breathing in this heavy way. It's very sexual. It's very, very strange. And the way he looks at Dan, the character of Dan, I don't like how Tveit is looking at that guy. I can't remember the actor's name. I know I should have written that down as well, but I can't. The way that he looks at that actor, he's like, <laughs> she's mine, daddy. Ooh, yes, you can't give her what I give her. I don't like it. I don't like it. Everybody is singing their asses off. Everybody is really committed, and I cannot question that level of commitment, but ugh, gross. <laughs> no, I have goose pimples. Ugh, my flesh. Ah, it's covered in goose. We are now going to officially begin our deconstruction of the next normal score with a clip from the song Everything Else. Patty and Benny, can we hear that, please? Mozart was crazy, flat fucking crazy, that shit I hear, but his music's not crazy, it's balanced, it's nimble, it's crystalline clear, there's harmony logic, you listen to these, you don't hear his doubts or his debts or disease, you scan through the score and put fingers on keys and you play. else goes away everything else goes away and you play till it's perfect you play till you ache you play till the strings or your fingernails break so you'll rock that recital and get into Yale so you won't feel so sick and you won't look so pale cuz you got your full ride and your early admit so you're done with this school and with all of this shit and you graduate early you're gone as a man It's just a sonata away, and you play, and you play, and everything else goes away, everything else goes away, everything else goes away. Thank you very much, Patty and Benny. As a reminder, that was a clip from the song Everything Else. I'm a radio desk jockey. Natalie's debilitating fixation on perfection is highly relatable to me, the musical man. I was a lot like her as a teenager, and I am still dealing with a lot of the same issues. I was on a speech team, ooh, a speech and debate team in high school, which involved a lot of performance-type events. Events? Is that the word I want to use? Anyway, I did a comedy routine. Oh, uh, what, what was it? A humorous interp. H.I. is what the name of the event was called. And oh, how I practiced. 
I practiced a little too much. I was a little too obsessed with every gesture and every phrasing, and I did it again and again and again, thinking that somehow I would break through a wall into a state of euphoria, a state of perfection. And I thought that, for a very long time, I thought that performing, in general, would allow me to ascend and, oh, reach a level of fame and acceptance and love that I wanted so very badly, and I was very badly fixated on that idea. So, Natalie, you and I are peas in a pod, peas in a pod, especially when I was a teenager. I would like to think that I have healed myself to a certain degree, but, oh, I got a lot of work to do. Oh, we got a lot of work to do, don't we, Natalie? Yes, yes, we do. Patty, Benny, I would now like to hear a nice bit of who's crazy slash my psychopharmacologist and I. Thank you very much in advance. Who's crazy? A husband or wife? Who's crazy? To live their whole life Believing that somehow things aren't as bizarre as they are Who's crazy? The one who can't cope Or maybe The one who still hope The one who sees doctors Or the one who just waits in the car wild 25 and I loved a wife so alive but now I believe I would settle for one who can drive the round blue ones with food but not with the oblong white ones the white ones with the round yellow ones but not the trapezoidal green ones split the green ones into thirds with a tiny chisel use a mortar and pestle my psychopharmacologist and I it's like an odd romance, intense and very intimate. We do our dance. My psychopharmacologist and I call it a lover's game. He knows my deepest secrets. I know his Diana, Bipolar Depressive with Delusional Episodes, 16-Year History of Medication, Adjustment After One Week. I've got less anxiety, but I have headaches, blurry vision, and I can't feel my toes. So, try again, and eventually we'll get it right. Not a very exact science, is it? So what an blame Natalie for resenting her mom. This poor kid wants nothing more than to be seen, and Diana is constantly pulling focus. Oh, you think you're overwhelmed, Natalie? Think of your poor mother! That would get old real quick, would it not? Would I encourage Natalie to lash out at Diana? No, of course not. That would be irrational, but... No one should expect teenagers to act rationally in the first place. Natalie can understand and accept that her mother is suffering while also sort of hating her mother's guts. 
Dan, on the other hand, deserves absolutely no sympathy. Dan is a lost boy. It has been 16 years since his wife was diagnosed, and in all that time, he has somehow failed to figure his shit out. He is a sullen, selfish, stupid man, and I do not trust his motivations at all. Dan does not want Diana to improve for the sake of improvement. He wants her to function as a sexual partner and a housewife. He wants her to contribute and play her part and pay him back for all those years he spent by her side. Dan is a bad person. Let's talk about that martyr complex a little bit more, shall we? Uh-oh, Mr. Shall-we's here. I've always been there for you, Diana. I have been steadfast and faithful. Don't I get any points for that? Where's my sympathy? Brace yourself, Danny boy. Staying is the baseline. Sticking around, staying in the room, that is the bare minimum. You're out here smashing music boxes and withholding your son's name. You're not exactly husband of the year material. This motherfucker wants Diana to undergo more ECT. She lost 19 years of memory and he's ready to reboot her all over again. Yes, we'll start over. That's what we'll do. We'll have a nice, clean, late, and this time you'll be the wife I always wanted. What could go wrong? The music box can't betray me if it's in the garbage. He's a piece of shit. Coming up right now, a bit of perfect for you. Go play that thing. Our planet is poison, the oceans, the air, around and beneath and above you. Um, Henry, that's true, and I totally I'm trying to tell you I love you. What? The world is at war, filled with death and disease. We dance on the edge of destruction. The globe's getting warmer by deadly degrees. And this is one fucked up seduction. This planet is pretty much broken beyond all repair. But one thing is working if you're standing there. I could be perfect for you I might be lazy, a loner A bit of a stoner, it's true But I might be perfect I'll make myself perfect, perfect for you You square all the corners, I straighten the curves You've got some nerve, Henry, and I'm just all nerve But even if everything else turns to dirt I can't fix what's fucked up But one thing I know I can do I can be perfect for you I can be perfect for you Perfect Thank you for playing that thing. I do appreciate it. Yeah.
Yes, future queen. I like Henry the Fatalist Romantic a hell of a lot more than Henry the Whiny Incel. You want to pack an apple bong and talk about how the world is ending? Awesome. I mean, I mean, it's not exactly an evening at the Ritz, but it's fine. But if you're going to invade my space and get all piss and shitty when I tell you no, then it's time for the dumpster into the garbage with you. Say hello to the music box for me. Why won't she go to the dance with me? I've been steadfast and faithful. Don't I get any points for that? Now, you've been dating her for like, what, three months, my dude? My dude, her mother tried to to commit suicide. Let the girl breathe, you oaf. Do you wake up in the morning and need help to lift your head? Do you read obituaries and feel jealous of the dead? It's like living on a cliffside, not knowing when you'll die. Do you know? Do you know? What it's like to die alive When a world that once had color Fades to white and gray and black When tomorrow terrifies you But you'll die if you look back You don't know I know you don't know You say that you're hurting It sure doesn't show You don't know It lays me so low When you say As I drown and wonder why Are you bleeding? Are you burning? Are you wishing? Are you wanting that she can't give? Are you bruised? Are you broken? Are you, Are you healing? Are you hoping for life to live? Does it help you to know? Well, so am I Tell me what to do Look at me Tell me who to be Look at so me I can see
was a little bit of you don't know, followed by a little bit of I am the one. Aaron Tveit is a rock star. There is no getting around that. I want to talk about how he is a very talented individual. I already know this. You probably already know this. He has a big following. You know who else has a big following? Alice Ripley. Alice Ripley has the voice of a rock star, but she will not be achieving rock star status on this podcast anytime soon. Sorry, not sorry, Miss Ripley. You are a bad person. I did want to feature these two songs on the show. I do like these two songs, but I had to get in some digs regarding Alice. Sorry, not sorry, Alice. Get your ass out of Wonderland and back to reality. That's what I would suggest for you. Superboy and the Invisible Girl Son of Steel and Daughter of Air He's a hero, a lover, a prince She's not there Superboy and the Invisible Girl Everything a kid ought to be He's immortal, forever alive Then there's me Next to Normal has always taken a nosedive in the wake of Superboy and the Invisible Girl. And this most recent experience was no different, because at this point, what? We have plateaued, right? Dramatically speaking, all of the pieces are on the board, we understand all of the relationships and motivations, and the show's major twist that Gabe is a delusion has been revealed. Moving forward, the book and score offer little beyond variations on pre-existing themes. Here are a few more songs about pain. Here are a few more songs in which people scream at each other. And in case you were wondering, no, none of these people are capable of or willing to change. Can we say emotional gridlock? I sympathize with these characters, and I can relate to a lot of them, but do I like them? No, and I'm not interested 
interested in spending an evening with them. This is why I do not seek out plays like Rabbit Hole. Watching fictional people move through their grief in what feels like real time does absolutely nothing for me. It is not cathartic or illuminating or instructive or entertaining for me. I'm sure the actors are having a blast, a ball. Myself, not so much. I'm yelling on stage. This is great. I'm snoring. This is repetitive. Finally, the only other song I want to hear from Patty and Benny is the reprise, reprise of I Am The One. Can we hear that, please? I am the one who loved you. I am the one who stayed. I am the one and you walked away. I am the one who waited And now you act like you just don't give a damn Like you never knew who I am I am the one who knows you I am the one you feel I am the one who's always been Not worth a damn But I know you know who I am No I know you know who I am Can't you just leave me alone? I know you know who I am oh. Why didn't you go with her? Cause I'm holding on Thank you very much. This show doesn't have a clue when it comes to who or what Gabe is at the end of the day. He's not a flesh and bone boy who walks among the living, that much we can say, but he's also not a delusion brought about by Diana's disorder. Remember, Dan can see, hear, and even talk to Gabe, which begs about 10,000 questions. Has Dan been gaslighting his wife for the last 16 years? I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Son? What son? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Never heard of it. Give me that fucking music box and make me a sandwich, you loan. But to my original point, my original question, what is 
Gabe, he is not a shared delusion, and he is not a manifestation of the Goodman's grief either. Gabe has interiority. He is self-aware. He rants and raves and plots in private like the Phantom of the Opera. He tells Diana to commit suicide. So you'll have to excuse me for not accepting this father-son reconciliation at face value. This thing, whatever it is, is a terror that needs to be exorcised from the Goodman's home stat. Hello, father. I know you can hear me. You've always been able to hear me. Look at me. Scary shit. All right, that's all I have to say regarding the next to normal score. We are now going to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Ah. Ciao, mi bella. Hello, hello, welcome. Oh, you look so beautiful. Uh, are you ready for a magical evening? With me, the famous movie star, Vittorio Vidal. Ah, yes. We are in for a magical night, you and I. We shall begin our daytime thinking at a little, oh, a little nice spot. I know, a little nice spot. Known as the Volcano Club. You have probably never heard of it. You are a simple thing and I am a man of the world. I know all of the strange and exotic corners that we can explore together. I shall take you to the dance floor and I shall spin you around like a top. Around and around you go when you stop. Nobody know. <laughs> I take you to the bar. I say two cups of five, six, seven, eight coffee. And as we are standing at the bar, you notice that everyone is staring at you. They think, how could someone like that be with someone like him, Vittorio Vital. I am in a tuxedo. I have a hairy chest. I wear a top hat to bed. And people think, how could that person be with him? And I say, fuck off. You have no idea what is going on in the head of this my beautiful date. The date may be simple, but within simplicity, there is complexity, is there not, my beautiful little songbird? <laughs> ah, but the evening is just beginning, my songbird. <laughs> After the Volcano Club, I bring you back to my apartment, my beautiful palatial flat, and we dine on lobster, cold lobster, and cold caviar, fish eggs, ah, it's true. But we do not eat these things on our own, no, we have to have a refreshment, and so I serve you even more, five, six, seven, eight coffee. You are getting all jittery inside, you are getting fidgety, you are, ooh, you are ready to go with me, Vittorio Vital, are you not? Yes, it is time to make love, but, ah, oh, there is some intrigue at the door. Knock, 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 ding dong, knock, 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 ding dong. Who is that? Oh, my God, it's my lover, Ursula. I shove you into the closet. You ask for another cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee, and so I say to you, all right, fine, here is another cup of coffee, but you must stay quiet while you drink it. Ursula will be furious with me if she knows that you are here. So shut up, get in the closet, and I shove you in there. And Ursula, she comes in, and I cannot resist her. Oh, she is a beautiful sea 
witch, and she wraps her tentacles around me. Oh, and I make love to her. Or it is more accurate to say, she makes love to me. I am not in control. My God, the suction cups, what they do to me. Oh, and I explode in a furious display of fireworks. And you watch. You watch every moment of this copulation. Through a keyhole, you are a nasty, naughty little minx. And you watch every fucking dirty second of it while sipping your coffee. The next morning I wake you up, I slip a couple of dirty American bills into your hand, and I push you out into the gutter. Goodbye with you. And as you enjoy yet another cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee at some greasy, nearby, disgusting, dirty diner that I would never step into because I am Vittorio Matal, you think to yourself, will he ever call me? And the answer is no. I will not. I do not call you. I die from syphilis six weeks later, specifically seawater syphilis. I got it from Ursula. Oh, what a wonderful way to go. My latest film, Napoleon's Penis, shuts down production. The film is never finished. Oh, audiences around the world mourn the loss of Vittorio Vital, and they will never know your name. They will never know that you are part of my life. You keep your mouth shut. And now the date has come to an end. You were so lucky to spend this time with me, Vittorio Vital. And now I say, ha ha ha, I'm gonna win! What is this? What? 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 You want me to say something else? What? A five, six, seven, eight coffee? You can count on it? Fuck you! I do not say this. Fuck you! I do not do this. I have already improvised for several minutes for your ridiculous product. Get out of my face. Get out of my face! Mamma mia! Here we go again! It's starting in five minutes on HBO. Fuck off! Get fucked! Final thoughts regarding Next to Normal. Here's a question I have, and I don't think it's an unfair one. Is Next to Normal anti-science? Let's review the message of the show as I perceive it. Dealing with bipolar disorder is a fucked up experience. But you know what's even more fucked up? Medicine. It's either killing you or making you boring, am I right? And that shock therapy stuff. Wowzers. Risky stuff. Now look, we're not telling you, the audience, what to do or anything, but these characters, the people on stage, they're figuring themselves out on their own terms outside of the system that failed them. And yeah, that could get a little hairy, but at least they won't be afraid to feel. Maybe they'll try that horse paste we've been hearing so much about. Despite all of my criticisms, this week's subject did inspire me to get off of my ass and make a doctor's appointment, which I have been putting off for for a while, daddy needs a referral. Daddy needs a referral is what he needs. Daddy does not need horse paste. Do not eat horse paste, okay? I don't know how you take that shit. Eat it, inject it, don't do it. Get the vaccine, wear a mask, reevaluate why you love Next to Normal so much. Oh, I wanna be in that show so bad. I wanna be in that show so bad. Why? Because I need to scream at someone and the theater gives actors permission to scream at each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Look, I get it. I wanted to scream on stage when I was in my 20s, and I did, and it made people uncomfortable. They were not what anyone would call entertained. Something to think about.
In 2009, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Billy Elliot the Musical, and the additional nominees that season were Rock of Ages and Past Subject Shrek the Musical. I am going to declare that Billy Elliot the Musical should retain its medallion for Best Musical. I believe I said that during our Shrek episode, and I'm sticking to it, baby. It is now time to rank next to normal against all of the other shows we have talked about here on the podcast. I'm going to place next to normal at number Number 72 on our list between Memphis at number 71 and The Wild Party at number 73. As a reminder, you can find this complete ranking via our spreadsheet. How do I get to that spreadsheet? Well, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You'll find our link tree. You will find a link to the spreadsheet via the link tree. The ranking is on the second tab, baby. I have a big announcement regarding our ranking. We are not done talking about the ranking. Do not get ahead of me. I have decided this is a huge announcement. I have taken Movin' Out out of the Phantom Zone. If you've never heard the show before, the Phantom Zone is a section of the ranking dedicated to shows that I did not know what to do with. I didn't know what to do with them. There simply wasn't enough to go on, and it would have been unfair for me to rank those shows against everything else, and so I put them in the Phantom Zone. Movin' Out used to be in that section, but it is now on the official ranking. It is at number 81 between Shrek the Musical at number 80, and Big River, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn at number 82. Now you might be wondering, why am I taking it out of the Phantom Zone now? What made me change my mind? Well, I realized that if a show has a cast album, it has to be ranked. If I can get my mitts on the cast album and listen to the score at the very least, then it does need to be on the ranking, and that is what we will do moving forward. So, congratulations to you moving out for officially getting onto the list. You are no longer in the Phantom Zone. That is a big shakeup, I know, but we have to move on. I do have two pieces of show-related ephemera for you this week, and they both relate to Mr. Aaron Tevet. Yes, they do. This first bit of ephemera you're about to hear is Aaron Tevet and Pentatonix performing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as part of the 2021 Kennedy Center Honors. This is specifically dedicated to Dick Van Dyke, and they are introduced by none other than Miss Cheetah Rivera. Patty, Benny, can we hear this performance of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, if you please. With a tribute to one of your most treasured movie songs, here are Grammy winners, Pentatonix and Tony Award nominee, Aaron Tveit. Chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang. Oh, you pretty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, we love you. And in chitty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, what we'll do near, far, in our motor car, oh, what a happy time we'll spend. Bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, our fine four fender friend. Bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, our fine four fender friend. Chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang. Oh, you pretty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang. Bang bang, we love you. And in chitty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, what we'll do here, far in our motor car, oh what a happy time we'll spend. Bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, our fine four fender friend. Bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, our fine four fender friend. Your seats are a feather bed. You'll turn everybody's head today. We'll glide on our motor trip. We'll ride in our ownership. The envy of all we survey. 
Shitty you, shitty pretty, shitty bang bang, shitty shitty bang bang, we love you. And shitty in, shitty 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 bang bang, shitty shitty bang bang, what we'll do? Near shitty far, shitty in a motor car, oh what a happy time we'll spend. Bang bang, shitty shitty bang bang, our fine four fender friend. Bang bang, shitty shitty bang bang, our fine four fender friend. Fine four fender, shitty shitty friend. Thank you very much. That is a very strange video, and I would suggest that you track it down for the sake of getting the visuals. It would seem that they are performing in some sort of communal area, in front of a mall, or maybe some sort of college campus. The car is very small. They do have the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang car, but it comes off as very compact. And Aaron Tveit, when he drives off, it's a remote control car, I have to assume, but when he drives off, the look on his face I don't know what's going on with him. He seems to be a little embarrassed and a little bit blinded by the sun. Not sure what's going on there. The second piece of ephemera I have for you today is the trailer for a 2017 feature film called Created Equal, in which Aaron Tevet plays Tommy Riley, the, I don't know, the individualistic, the idealistic, I should say, lawyer. And Lou Diamond Phillips is, oh, he is Monsignor Renzulli, the wicked Catholic. Like Bishop? Cardinal? I don't know what he is. Let's hear the trailer. Maybe we'll figure it out via the trailer. Tommy, what's this new case you sent over? One of our biggest clients called in a favor for her housekeeper's daughter, Alejandra Batista. What are we settling? Woman suing the Catholic Church. It is unfortunate that these events have occurred. Yes, I'm afraid so. But we will be blamed for this. They would betray us as the bad guys in any event. I understand. You are suing the Catholic Church. I'm suing the Catholic Church because I want to become a Catholic priest. I would like to work this out before it's too late. Too late for what? For you to turn back. <laughs> no one, including the Catholic Church, gets to be above the law. I'm not afraid. This case is an attack on religious freedom and on the more than one billion Catholics around the world. Do you believe that by challenging God's church, you were in his grace? If I'm not, may God put me there. And if I am, may God so keep me. You're a settler. That's what I told you to do. You must respect tradition. Priesthood is reserved for the male gender forever. Oh. Keep it up and I'll put everybody out. Why did you not apply to another seminary instead of filing a lawsuit against the Catholic Church? Because I'm a Catholic. Are you absolutely sure that you want to continue down this path? This kind of case brings the nuts out of hiding. You got to go. Come He knows where she is. You got to get out of there. I'm on my way. Get out of there now. What a movie trailer, so dramatic, and yes, if you're asking, you can watch this entire movie for free on YouTube. Would I recommend it? No. At this point in the show, we would typically take a ride on the musical carousel to determine what subject we will be tackling next via the main feed, but 
but, 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 we have to honor Jason. Yes, we talked about Jason, how Jason moved from the $1 a month Patreon tier to the $5 a month Patreon tier. We talked about that during our Jelly's Last Jam episode, but we held off on the announcement regarding his show selection. As a $5 patron, Jason is entitled to determine what show we talk about via the main feed, and it is now time to announce the name of that show. It's the Drowsy Chaperone. Oh, this is a big one. We're going to be talking about the Drowsy Chaperone next week, so get excited, people. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially just like Jason. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate $1, $3, 5 or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's do that now. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you very much. You also get 13 bonus episodes as a $1 a month patron. Bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Harlow the Alligator Boy, and the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. We have three bonus episodes coming up. They are on the calendar. On September 22nd, we will be releasing a full movie commentary for the film Vivo. Yes, Vivo, we're going to be talking about that monkey, baby. And then on September 29th, we'll release an episode all about the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back. And then on Wednesday, October 6th, we will be releasing a bonus episode all about the musical Diana, which will be released via Netflix. Yes, it's true, but I'm not done. One dollar a month patrons also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a special series for which I check in with myself and the songs that make me feel more like myself. Finally, you get all 11 episodes, no, we have 10 episodes so far, yes, of M3 The Movie Musical Man, a series for which I watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Coming Wednesday, September 29th, the Teens Are All Right trilogy. That's the theme for September. We're going to be talking about Starstruck, Sing Street, and Valley Girl. It's going to be great. Get on board. Now, if you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get season one, ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, and a special one-off episode all about Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. That's what Jason got to do. Jason chose the drowsy chaperone. What will you choose? What will you choose? You also get seasons one and two 
two, that's 24 episodes, of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by none other than the Phantom of the Opera. You also get access to my Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2. Those are collections of 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. You get Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a special series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, you get the first six episodes of Turn It Off, a special series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. Those first six episodes are about Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. We do have another six episodes of Turn It Off coming your way, $10 a month patrons. Don't you worry about that. You will be getting those by the end of the year. This I can promise you. If you are listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, take a moment to write a five-star review. We need more five-star reviews. We want 60. We have 51. We just got another five-star review. We're very excited. We're so close to getting 60. What happens when we get to 60 five-star reviews? I am going to release a special episode all about Disney Zombies franchise. Zombies. Zombies 2. End of list. If you're streaming the show, that might be through Spotify or Stitcher or Audible or Podbean. Musicalmanpod.podbean.com Follow us on Twitter at MusicalmanPod and email me at MusicalmanPod at gmail.com Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. I love you, Patty. I love you, Benny. Thank you so much to Alex Green for our beautiful logo. I love you, Alex. And thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. I love you, Zach. Oh, what the hell? Okay. You know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>